to, um, to look up uh, wisdom from children. And um, so I, I want to share a couple little stories with you. Not really stories, but um, one was a, that about a Sunday school teacher who was, uh, she was taking her class to church for a service. And so as they were going along, you know, she wanted to make sure they understood the proper conduct. And so she asked them, she goes, now, why is it necessary for us to be quiet in church? And one little girl raised her hand. She goes, I know, I know. And she goes, yes. And she says, because people are sleeping. (laughs) It better not be any of you tonight, okay? (laughs) There was another one about a father who was at the beach with his children, and uh, his four-year-old son ran up to him, and he grabbed his hand, and he led him to the shore. And there was a seagull laying dead in the sand. And so the little boy says, Daddy, what happened to him? And the father says, oh, well, he died and went to heaven. And so the boy thought for a minute. He's looking at the seagull. He's looking at his dad. And he goes, well, did God throw him back down? (laughs) (laughs) And there was one more about which I really loved. Talk about the wisdom of children. Um, children were asked, you know, how do you know when somebody loves you? And this uh, little girl said, when someone loves you, the way they say your name is different. You just know that your name is safe in their mouth. And I thought, wow, that is true wisdom right there. You know, and I had to think, you know, is, do I keep people's names safe in my mouth? You know, do we keep God's name safe in our mouths? You know, it's something to think about. So anyway, um, with that, I say good evening to everybody. I hope you had a good week. And, um. In our study tonight, uh, we're going to be asking the Lord to teach us how to pray for a heart of wisdom. And we're going to be looking at how King Solomon prayed for wisdom in 1 Kings chapter 3, uh, verses 5 to 14. But before we begin our study, let's pray. Father God, we just come before you, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. And Father, we just seek your wisdom tonight, Lord. We want to have that heart of wisdom, Lord. And so we just pray, Father, that you would begin this evening, Lord, and teach us, open our minds and our hearts and our ears, Lord, to your word. Help us to glean from the things that we will study tonight, Lord, and look at in your word. And help us to apply those things to our lives, Father. I pray that you would just be with us, help us to Put aside the cares of the day and just to sit here at your feet, Lord, and just to take in all that you have, especially for each and every one of us. And so we thank you, Lord, for the work you're about to do in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Well, in preparing um, this study, one of the first questions that came into my mind was, what's the difference between knowledge and wisdom? And so I took out my old trusty Nelson's Illustrated Bible Dictionary, and I looked up the words. Now, knowledge, it said, is the truth or facts of life that a person acquires, either through experience or thought. And knowledge is good, but by itself, it's inadequate. And we have to be careful, because it can lead to pride. 1 Corinthians 8.1 says, Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Wisdom, on the other hand, was defined as the ability to judge correctly and to follow the best course of action based on knowledge and understanding. And there are two types of wisdom. You have the wisdom of the world, which is also described in the Bible as human wisdom or the wisdom of man or the wisdom of this age. And this type of wisdom is acquired by knowledge which is based on worldly principles and worldly values. You know, for example, the world's wisdom says, be your own person, follow your heart, do whatever feels good, do whatever it takes to get ahead, and the person with the most toys wins. The world's wisdom, however, often results in selfishness, self-centeredness, a sense of entitlement, pride, bitterness, and ultimately destruction of varying types and kinds. But there is another type of wisdom, which is God's wisdom. And this type of wisdom is acquired by knowledge based on God's word. It's also a wisdom which can come directly from God, as we'll see with uh, Solomon. Proverbs 2.6 says, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. And the greatest truth that a person can possess with our mind or learn through our experience is the truth about God. That's the truth that we need to seek after. And it's acquired as God reveals himself to us in nature, through our conscience, in history, but especially in the Bible. And that's why it's so important for us to study it. Paul said in Romans 1.21, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. And Psalm 111.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. And what are the results of God's wisdom? Proverbs 2.1-5 through 5 says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, so that you incline your ear to wisdom, and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. And this is something that 
every one of us uh, should be seeking as we walk with the Lord. Because our purpose for existing is to glorify God in, in all that we do and all that we say. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So with that, I'd like to start by giving you a little background to our study. At this time, uh, King Solomon's internal enemies had been eliminated, and he was now ready to begin his reign over the Israelites. Also at this time, uh, verse 3 of chapter 3 tells us that Solomon loved the Lord, that he was walking in the statutes of his father David. However, he was already beginning to make some costly errors in his reign. For example, he married the Pharaoh's daughter, and he brought her to Jerusalem to live until his own house was built. Now, this marriage was part of a treaty that he made with Pharaoh, and it really was for political uh, alliances, you know, to strengthen and to protect Israel. Um, And it also, by this alliance, it also uh, provided Solomon with trade routes and also with business ventures. But the kings of Israel were clearly forbidden from taking foreign wives, In Deuteronomy 17.17, God told Moses regarding Israel's king, Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. And later on, Solomon would begin to sow the seeds of his flesh, and he would take on many wives for himself, and his heart indeed would be turned away from the living God. Also at this time, the Israelites were sacrificing at the high places, such as Gibeon, Gilgal, Shiloh, Hebron, because there was no house, no temple built yet. And after the temple was erected in Jerusalem, worship to the Lord would be done in Jerusalem only. Now, King Saul had moved the tabernacle to Gibeon, And King David later took the Ark of the Covenant from Kirjath-Jerim to Jerusalem, and he built a temporary tent for it there. So the tabernacle which Moses had made in the wilderness still remained in Gibeon. And it was here that King Solomon had gone to sacrifice to the Lord. And it said that he offered a thousand burnt offerings on that bronze altar. And the great number of his sacrifices uh, showed not only his wealth, but it also showed at this time his heart's desire to be totally dedicated and consecrated to the Lord. So this occasion of, of all the sacrifice was an important event because it marked the ceremonial beginning of Solomon's reign. And according to Second Chronicles chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, the entire leadership of the nation had gone with him uh, for this time of celebration and feasting. So this is where our study begins. So I want us to look at uh, chapter 3, uh, verses 5 and 6. It says, At Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask, what shall I give you? 
And Solomon said, You have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. So notice first that Solomon had this remarkable experience, this visitation from God in a dream. And the Lord would appear to him in a dream a second time after the temple was built, according to 1 Kings chapter 9. Now, the Lord had used dreams and visions in the past with such people as Joseph and Isaiah. Uh, And he also spoke to people of other nations through dreams, as he did with Abimelech in Genesis 20 and in Pharaoh in Genesis 41. So here we see God uh, talking to Solomon, and he says, Ask, what shall I give you? Now, this command in question was a revelation of God's grace towards Solomon. But it was also a test of Solomon's heart. You know, what people ask for usually reveal what they really desire. And it also reveals if they're walking according to the flesh or according to the spirit. You know, Jesus said in Luke 6, 45, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I couldn't help but wonder if God had asked us that question What would we have answered? What would we have asked for? And what would that have shown about our heart? Notice, secondly, that instead of declaring what he wanted right away, Solomon first declared his gratitude to God for his father, David. And this is a good way to begin our prayers, giving thanks to God for his blessings. Psalm 100, verse 4, exhorts us by saying, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. You know, it's good to be women who have an attitude of gratitude. Uh, And I find in my own life, when I'm busy about giving thanks, then I don't have much time for grumbling or complaining or comparing. Solomon next uh, recognized before the Lord God's mercy towards his father. And he recognized the godly attributes of David. You know, he mentioned that David walked before God in truth, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart. You know, Solomon witnessed his father's love for the Lord and how he sought to walk before the Lord, you know, in truth and in right living and in having an upright heart. And I think we need to ask ourselves, what do my children and my grandchildren, my family and my friends witness in me? You know, is my love for the Lord evident in my daily life? Do I speak the truth in love? Do I attempt to live righteously according to God's word and with a heart that is dedicated to serving him? Do my children and grandchildren see me praying and reading my Bible during the good times and during the difficult times? 
You know, we will never be perfect this side of heaven, but we should be witnessing to others that we are Christians. You know, Pastor X sometimes asks us, you know, if you were put on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And I think that's a good question. Jesus told his disciples in Acts 1.8, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And in 2 Corinthians 5.20, Paul tells us that we are ambassadors for Christ. So we need to be conscious daily that we are witnesses for Jesus, and, and we need to be careful. Finally, Solomon recognized before the Lord that God had shown great kindness to his father by giving him a son to sit on his throne, and that it would be by this son that a temple would be built for God based on his promise to David. Uh, in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 7, verses 12 and 13, Nathan the prophet gave King David a message from the Lord, which said, When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Let's look at verses 7 to 10. Here Solomon says, Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David, but I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to judge this great people of yours? We need to notice, first of all, that Solomon, in responding to God's question, speaks to God with true humility. He had a humble heart. You know, he begins by acknowledging that it was God who called him to be king. You know, you have made your servant king. Also, he, um, you know, he didn't take any credit for his appointment. He didn't say, you know, wow, I was King David's son, and I deserve to be on the throne, and look what I've done. No, he didn't say any of that. You know, he gave the credit to the Lord. And when we get promoted, we need to give credit to the Lord, because the Bible says that promotion comes from the Lord. Then three times he refers to himself as your servant, and he also describes himself as a little child. And by saying this, he was confessing his youthfulness and his inexperience. Now, he was only about 20 to 25 years of age at this time, so he was quite young. He also declared to the Lord that he did not know how to go out or come in. And by this, he was referring to uh, that he didn't know how to give true leadership to the nation. You know, he was inexperienced. Solomon also showed his humility not only by confessing his own smallness, but also by declaring the nation's greatness, because he said that God's nation was a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. And finally, Solomon refers to the nation of Israel as God's people. 
You know, he was well aware that the nation was God's chosen people and that God had a plan for them to fulfill. He was also aware that the king would carry a great responsibility in ruling them and leading them. And so Solomon finally answers God's question in verse 9 and asks God for an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil. You know, Solomon didn't just want knowledge. He didn't just want great knowledge. He wanted understanding, and he wanted it in his heart. Now, the word understanding here in the Hebrew literally means hearing. And so Solomon was asking for a hearing heart, one that would be able to listen to God's voice as he judged and led the people one that would be able to listen to God's voice in order to discern between good and evil. In other words, Solomon was asking God for wisdom. And God's wisdom is something we need for our everyday life as well. And God has graciously provided it for us, especially in his Bible, in his word. And so... We need to consider two questions. First, why do we need God's wisdom? And I'd like to give you three brief reasons. First, we need God's wisdom because our wisdom is so limited. You know, as advanced as man's wisdom has become, God's wisdom is still so much greater Because God is the source of all wisdom. He is all wise. Daniel declared in Daniel chapter 2, verses 20 to 22, he said, Blessed be the name of God from age to age, for wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons, deposes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and light dwells in him. You know, God's wisdom is both intellectual and it's also a moral quality. And he provides his wisdom to us so that it will bring about the best possible results in whatever we choose to do. You know, because God is wise, he's always, he always does the right thing in the right way. At the right time. And we can trust him to provide us with his wisdom to deal with every situation, with every difficult person, and we can be assured that nothing is impossible with the Lord. Second, we need God's wisdom to avoid being deceived by the world's wisdom. You know, for example, the world says all roads lead to God, or There are many ways to God, but not according to Jesus. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. You know, notice Jesus didn't say he was a way or a truth or a life, you know, but he said he was the way, the truth, the life. There is no other way to the Father. And this declaration 
came directly from Jesus himself. So if anybody here has a problem with that, you got to take it up with the Lord because he said it. And if we choose to reach the Father in any other way other than through Jesus Christ, then we're going to be walking along a path that's ultimately going to lead to death. Proverbs 14.2 and Proverbs 16.25 say the same thing. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. So we need to know God's word. We need to know God's wisdom to avoid being deceived by the world's wisdom. Thirdly, we need God's wisdom to show us how to live and how to behave in everyday living and under various circumstances. Proverbs 14.8 says, The wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way. You know, God's wisdom helps us to understand our way by helping us to consider where our actions lead. Where am I going? What am I doing? The motives from which they spring. Why am I doing this? What am I trying to achieve? And the results which may occur. What are the consequences of these choices I'm about to make? And I really like what Matthew Henry in his commentary on this particular proverb said. He says, Christian prudence or wisdom is to understand our own way, not be critics and busybodies in other people's matters, but to look well at ourselves and ponder the path of our feet to understand the directions of our way that we may observe them, the dangers of our way that we may avoid them, the difficulties of our way that we may break through them, and the advantages of our way that we may walk toward them. You know, God's wisdom helps us to be more like Jesus and less like ourselves. And it helps us to get through various circumstances with patience and perseverance and with joy. And the second question we need to ask ourselves is, how do I get God's wisdom? Well, Proverbs 4, 7 says, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. And so I want to share with you six ways that we can get wisdom. First, we gain wisdom when we ask God for it. You know, when King David got to a point where he didn't know what to do, the scriptures say say that he went and he inquired of the Lord. And one crucial element needed in asking for wisdom is faith. You know, James 1, 5 to 8 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach. And it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So here James is telling us that whenever we need wisdom, we need to ask God for it. And he will give it to us generously. And without despising us for asking for it. You know, God's never going to say, wisdom, you're asking for that again? You just asked for that yesterday. Didn't you learn anything? 
He will never say that to us. He has so much wisdom and he delights in giving his children the things that they need. But we need to ask in faith, you know, we, you have to ask in faith, never doubting God's ability. You know, there should never be a question. Can God give me his wisdom? Yes, he can. You know, and we can't uh, doubt his desire to give us that wisdom, like I just said. You know, because when we doubt, then we're double-minded. That means we're operating between faith and unbelief. And when we doubt, it's also a sign that we're not standing on our firm foundation. So we become unstable in all our ways. Secondly, we gain wisdom when we study God's word. You know, the Bible contains the wisdom we need to lead that fruitful and faith-filled life in service to the Lord. And we need to remember that true wisdom will never contradict God's word. Scripture never becomes outdated, so we can trust the word of God to provide the guidance we need when we need it. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And I want to stress that, thoroughly equipped. He's not just going to give you a little bit, okay? What all that you need, he will give you. Third, we gain wisdom when we obey God's word. You know, it's not enough just to study the word. We must be willing to obey it. And God's word teaches us the right way that we should go. And it also warns us of the consequences of disobedience. You know, God loves us so much that he gave us his word for our protection. But it's up to us to follow it. You know, a lot of people say, oh, being a Christian, wow, i got to follow the Bible. There goes my fun. You know, and it's like, wow. But that's not true. You know, when you really study it, we realize that it's for our protection and that God tells us to do things and not do things um, to keep us safe. And the other thing is, you know, we will gain wisdom either through our obedience or through our disobedience. One way or another, we will learn wisdom. God, through Moses, told the Israelites in Deuteronomy twelve twenty eight, Observe and obey all these words which I command you, that it may go well with you and your children after you forever, when you do what is good and right in the sight of the Lord your God. And James 3.13 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Fourth, we gain wisdom as a result of prayer. You know, in times of prayer, we gain wisdom because we learn various things. For example, as we pray, we learn to humble our hearts before God to trust in his character and in his attributes, to be quiet and to listen for God's voice, and to wait patiently for his answer. 
We also gain wisdom as we meditate upon the word of God, which the Spirit might bring to our remembrance as we pray. Psalm 46.10 commands us, Be still and know that I am God. Fifth, we gain wisdom through wise counsel. It's good at times to seek wise counsel from godly people, like a pastor or a trusted Christian family member or a friend. You know, and but once they give you their counsel, we should take it to the Lord in prayer. And we need to be sure that it does not contradict the scriptures in any way. Proverbs twelve fifteen says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. Proverbs nineteen twenty says, Listen to counsel and receive instruction that you may be wise in your later days. This kind of reminds me of my mother. Um, Mom was always telling me, you know, should do this, don't do that. And and when I was younger, I'd say, yeah, Mom, sure, yeah, 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 yeah. Now that I'm older and I reflect back, I was like, ooh, Mama told me that. Oh, I remember she said that. And I pass it down to my nephews and nieces, you know, and I'll say, well, as Grandma used to say, blah, 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 you know. And, and so that is so true. Hopefully I, I've gotten some wisdom in my latter days. And finally, we gain wisdom when we associate with wise people. We need to surround ourselves with wise Christian people, people who pray, people who study God's word, people who love the Lord and seek to walk in his ways. We can gain wisdom from not only the mistakes, but the accomplishments of other people. You know, and especially if you're a young Christian, you can gain much wisdom by associating with an older Christian in the Lord. Proverbs 13:20 says, "He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed." The world's wisdom changes, and it's often focused only on self. You know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3:19 that The wisdom of the world is foolishness with God. And that's why God's wisdom is so very necessary in our Christian walk. And God's wisdom is unending. Romans 11.33 says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. You know, no matter how big or how little our situation or problem is, God can provide the wisdom for it, and he can help us in the time of our need. So let's go back to our text and look at verses 10 to 13. And they say, And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Then God said to him, Because you have asked this thing and have not asked long life for yourself, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have asked the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart, so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall any like you arise after you. And I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor." 
so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings all your days. You know, notice, first of all, that Solomon's answer to God's question, he asked for that understanding heart, pleased God. And the word pleased here in the Greek means to be glad or joyful. And so it made God joyful because Solomon's answer revealed his heart for God and for God's people. And Solomon's answer put God and God's people first instead of himself. And that's a good thing. Solomon wanted God's wisdom and understanding in order to be led by God and in order to discern justice for the people. And God was also pleased with what Solomon did not ask for. And because of this, God granted Solomon's request. And he said that there would never be a king, there would not be a king, you know, like him. God also answered Solomon's uh, request beyond his expectations. You know, though Solomon, he didn't ask for riches or honor, yet God was going to give him those things as well. And this reminded me of Ephesians 3.20, which says that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. You know, sometimes God just blesses us more than we can hope for or think of. And I'm sure that there are many in this room who could share uh, an experience where that has happened in your life. You know, God, sometimes he just blesses our socks off, and it's so great. God also promised Solomon long life, but the promise was conditional. In verse 14, God told Solomon, so if... You walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked. Then I will lengthen your days. Unfortunately, Solomon did not walk in all of God's ways. And in 1 Kings chapter 11, we find out that Solomon loved many foreign women and he married them, even though that was forbidden by God for the Israelites. And this chapter also disclosed that Solomon had uh, 700 wives and princesses and 300 concubines. And his wives did indeed turn his heart away from uh, the true God to other gods. And toward the end of his life, he even built a high place of worship for Chemosh, the god of the Moabites, who was worshipped with immoral practices. And he built another one for Molech the god of the Ammonites. And unfortunately, the worship of both of these gods included the sacrifice of children as burnt offerings. And this was an abomination to the Lord. You know, so God became very angry with Solomon because he didn't fully follow what the Lord had directed. And as a result, Solomon failed the condition and he was not given long life But he died when he was about 60 to 65 years old. Despite Solomon's wisdom, he gradually chose to drift into sin and disobedience, and the Lord had to chasten him. Finally, verse 15 says, Then Solomon awoke, and indeed it had been a dream. And he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, offered up burnt offerings, offered peace offerings, 
and made a feast for all his servants. So here we see that Solomon awoke from his dream and he went to Jerusalem uh, to the tent that housed the Ark of the Covenant. And there he offered more sacrifices. You know, now uh, remember that the Ark represented the presence of God among the people and the rule of God over the people. So Solomon, in going before the ark, probably wanted to acknowledge publicly the sovereign rule of God over his own life at that time and the life of the nation as well. It's a shame that Solomon, who had been so blessed by the Lord, ended up wasting the gifts that were given to him. You know, though he did accomplish much during his 40-year reign, he could have done so much more had his heart not been led away from God in the end. As Christians, we can also be very blessed by God. You know, we can study our Bibles daily. We can be in prayer. We can attend church services. We can be in ministry. We can experience many of the Lord's blessings and yet slowly compromise our walk with the Lord. And so this is a warning. This is a piece of wisdom that we need to learn, that we need to be very careful and we need to be watchful and we need to examine our walk with the Lord often to be sure that we're still walking in God's ways, that we're still using God's wisdom in making decisions, in discerning right from wrong, in choosing the friends that we choose to be with and in determining the way that we should go. One way to be successful in this endeavor is to put a high value on God's wisdom. We need to value God's wisdom from his perspective. Proverbs 8.11 says, For wisdom is better than rubies, and all the things one may desire cannot be compared to her. And Proverbs 16.16 says, How much better to get wisdom than gold? And to get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. You know, the world says, oh, you need jewelry and the latest fashions and uh, Jimmy Choo shoes. And, you know, you need to look sharp because that's that's what's important. You know, but for us, God's wisdom is more important or should be. And we should value it better than anything else that we could ever buy or obtain You know, we need to remember that all of Solomon's wealth couldn't prevent him from making foolish mistakes in his life. He had been given God's wisdom in abundance, but he chose to put it aside and to pick up the foolishness of pagan man and to walk according to his flesh instead of according to the spirit. And so I want to leave you with two scriptures to reflect on. First one is Proverbs 2, verses 10 to 15. And it says, When wisdom enters your heart and knowledge is pleasant to your soul, discretion will preserve you. Understanding will keep you to deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things from those who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perversity of the wicked, whose ways are crooked and who are devious in their paths. 
And then Ephesians 5, verses 15 to 17, which says, See then that you walk circumspectly or carefully, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. And Lord, we just thank you for this study on your wisdom. And Father, we ask that you would give us your wisdom, Lord, as we pray, as we study your word, as we fellowship with wise people, Lord, as we just um, sit down and truly try to hear your voice speak to us, Father. And I just pray, Father, that you would just help us to grow in this quality, Lord. Give us those hearing hearts to hear your voice speak to us individually. And I pray also, Lord, for every woman here tonight, Lord. Bless her in a special way, Father God. And um, I pray that you would just uh, listen to the needs that she has in her heart, Lord, that she's laying at your feet even now. I ask also for traveling mercies for each and every one of us, Lord. Keep us safe. Help us to love you more and more and to draw closer to you, Father. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.